the book. We just finished Ephesians, and now we're going to go straight to uh, Philippians. So if you turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, and uh, the topic this morning is how to increase your joy. How to increase your joy. And it's something that I know that the Lord wants us to learn, how to have this joy. And it's really neat because uh, also the ladies uh, in, their, in their studies, are, their topic is also joy. So God saw fit to, again, all in the timing. It wasn't, wasn't planned by either one of us. So, you know, it just, again, God working things out according to his will, and especially uh, during Christmas time and uh, heading on to the new year. But, you know, it's, when you think of joy, or when you hear the word happiness, what do you think of? Because I know if we went around in a room, we'd probably come up with a different answer from everybody. Maybe it's when you look back to when you were a kid, when you got that first new bicycle for Christmas. Maybe, you know, as an adult, uh, when you had your first child. Or maybe, you know, when you married the one that you love. But again, we could come up with all kinds of probably different answers regarding what do you think of when you think of the word happiness. Everybody wants to be happy. But as you look around and see what's going on in this world, there's really not much to be happy about, according to the world. Again, many people are looking for it, but uh, these days, there's not much of it. Not even in the church. Many people make being happy their lifelong goal. Uh, whether it's making money, spending money, accumulating possessions, searching for new experiences, you know, a bunch of things. Some people are even willing to give up everything that's really important, that's truly important, just to find a bit of happiness. You know, they'll break up families, relationships, homes, you know, to go and, and you know, there, there's something there that, that I haven't found just to find that little bit of happiness. And in the process, they cast aside their morals, decency, responsibility to, to, to go on this, this quest. A.W. Tozer said, the New Testament emphasis is not on happiness, but on holiness. God is more concerned with the state of people's hearts than with the state of their feelings. Ask him, that is, ask God never to give you more happiness than holiness. In, in the King James Version, the definition of happy, you know, you see it in the word hap. In the King James, it's hap. It's half of the word happy. So anyway, it means the same thing. But in, in, the, new King, in, in the old King James, uh, the word hap means good luck, fate, happening, or chance. And it means happiness is based on your environment. As long as things are going well in your life and everything is just, man, everything is just so, so good and, and so, you know, it's just wonderful. You're happy. But again, it's based on your environment. As long as everything around you is going well, you're happy. But what happens when that environment or, or that that Time comes when, when things aren't so good. They're not so easy going anymore. What happens 
you know, depends on our circumstances. What happens when the toys break? What happens when the possessions are gone? You know, or a loved one dies, or our health deteriorates, our money is gone. The fun disappears. And usually happiness walks right out the door, and then here comes sadness and depression walking in and taking its place. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Don't store up your treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your heart is, there the desires of your heart will also be. You see, if your joy and your life exists in things, those treasures in life, when they're gone, so will be your, 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 your happiness. There's a difference between happiness and joy. And that's what we hope that you, you'll glean from the teachings you know, here and in the, in the ladies' studies. There's a difference. Uh, again, joy is deeper. It's stronger. And joy is the quiet, confident assurance of God's love and work in our lives. That he'll be there no matter what happens under any circumstance. Happiness, though, depends on happenings. But joy depends on Jesus. That's what we have to get into our minds. Philippians is Paul's letter of joy. The church in Philippi had been a great encouragement to Paul. The believers there had enjoyed a very special relationship with Paul. So he writes to them to tell them personally about how much he loved them and the affection he had for them because they brought real joy, a lot of joy to his life. Philippians is also a joyful book because it emphasizes the real joy of the Christian life. The idea of rejoicing or joy appears many times in the four chapters of Philippians. And it gives this positive message about this victorious experience. And it ends, the book ends with Paul's words, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Paul dedicated his whole life to serving Jesus. But his service he, he had, you know, it, it faced great poverty. The service that he had, the service he was in, poverty, great poverty, uh, poverty was a part of it, as well as great wealth. And he experienced everything in between. He even wrote this joyful letter while he was in prison. Whatever the circumstances, Paul had learned to be content, to find real joy as he focused all of his attention and energy on knowing Jesus and obeying him. You see, Paul found joy, real joy, because he was, con he was content regardless of poverty or, or, or wealth or any in conditions in between. When he was in jail, when he was out of jail, he had that same joy, that same contentment. Because, you see, the resource of his joy was within. It was within. And so, it, it was, and he said it's something that he learned. And it's through the circumstances that aren't so joyful and the times that aren't so joyful that we learn what real joy is. And it's in Jesus Christ. So, you know, Paul, again, dedicated his whole life to serving Jesus. 
Whatever the circumstances, Paul had learned to be content, like I said, finding his joy, focusing all of his attention, energy on knowing Jesus and obeying Jesus. And that's truly when we're the, the most joyous is when we're in obedience to the Lord, when we're in his will. The depth of the, of the Philippians' relationship with Paul encouraged him during his time in prison. It added to his joy. He was concerned about their unity, the Philippians' unity. He was concerned about their faithfulness and many other important spiritual and everyday matters. But Paul's main concern was that their sorrow over his afflictions wouldn't overshadow their joy over his faithfulness to the Lord and the great reward that was waiting for him in heaven. And so he's telling them, hey guys, you know, don't be so bummed out because I'm in prison. Don't let that, don't let that you know, overshadow your, your faithfulness. Don't let that take away from your faithfulness. Don't let that ruin your joy and, 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 be, and what's waiting for me in heaven. Paul didn't want them to be sad about his chains. He wanted them to share with him as much as they could his deep, steadfast joy in Jesus. Because it's an important witness to the maturity of the Philippian believers that even though Paul warned and encouraged them, he didn't mention any theological and moral problem in the church of Philippi. And that also brought Paul joy. The purpose of the letter was to thank the Philippians for the gift they had sent Paul and to strengthen these believers by showing them that, they tr that, that true joy comes from Jesus. The letter was written by Paul. And, there and the letter was written to all uh, uh, the, the Christians at Philippi and all believers everywhere. The letter was written about AD 61 from Rome while Paul was in prison. The setting, Paul and his companions started the church at Philippi on the second, his second missionary journey. And this was the first church established on the European continent. Paul wanted to know Jesus more than anything else. And he made his point well when he said this in Philippians 3, 8 through 10. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Let us make Paul's goal to know the power of Jesus and his resurrection our goal to pursue knowing Jesus more and more and to rejoice with Paul in Philippians here and rededicate yourself to finding that joy in Christ. We live in a really sad world today, a fallen world. It knows a lot about misery, depression, disappointment, unhappiness. And it has a desire for real happiness. But, but it... They, they don't find it. They can't find it because they're looking in all the wrong places. There are times when we, when, when we have those moments of pleasure and satisfaction through the usual pains and sorrow of life and maybe have very little hope that their situation in life will ever change, if any, or for the better. And the older you get, the darker the outlook becomes. 
Many years of life often become long years of great sorrow and unfilment. Loss of loved ones, friends, and often the physical limitations and pain. Because the body, like Paul said, is so tent and it's, it's falling apart. And those times of happiness become less and less. And then they tend to create a gloomy sadness and a, lettuce, less, a lessening satisfaction in life. A lot of people define happiness as an attitude of satisfaction or an enjoyment based on thinking positive. And how many times when you're going through a difficult time or, you know, a trial and you're just, and somebody says, oh, chin up, chin up, think positive. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're laughing because you know that doesn't work. Easy for them to say because I'm the one who's going through it. See them have chin up when they're going through the same thing. You know? And those times, those circumstances are most of the time beyond our control. So happiness can't be planned. It can't be programmed into our lives. Therefore, it can't be guaranteed. It's experienced only if and when circumstances are favorable. So you see, that makes happiness hard to pin down and it makes it uncertain. It's not a for sure thing. But spiritual joy, on the other hand, it's not an attitude that's dependent on chance or circumstances. It's the deep, steadfast, that is continuing confidence that no matter what your circumstances are in life, all is well between you and the Lord. No matter what the difficulty, no matter what the pain, the disappointment, the failure, rejection, or other challenges that you're facing in life, real joy remains because of that eternal happiness that's established by God's grace in salvation. So scripture makes it clear that the fullest, most lasting, and satisfying joy is the result of a true and intimate relationship with God. It's not based on your circumstances or chance. It's the merciful and permanent possession of every child of God, Jesus Christ. Nobody, you can steal my stuff, but you can't steal my Jesus. So it's not surprising that joy is an important New Testament topic. The verb, rejo the verb rejoice and joy is found several times in the New Testament. The two words appear 14 times in Philippians. And remember, it's only four chapters. The love relationship between Paul and the Philippian believers, it may have been stronger than the one that he had in any other church. Mostly because of the joy that the Philippians' love brought to Paul. And that's the subject of Paul's letter to the Philippians. The depth of their relationship with Paul encouraged him during his time in prison. And his relationship added to his joy. Paul was concerned about their, their, their unity. He was concerned about their faithfulness and many other important spiritual and, and, and everyday things. But Paul's main concern was that their sorrow, for, because he was in prison, would not overshow, overshadow their joy. Okay? Or, or overshadow, I should say, their faith, his faithfulness to the Lord. And the great reward that was waiting for him in heaven. Paul did not want them to be sad about his chains. Paul wanted them to share with him as much as they could and his deep, steadfast joy in Jesus. 
it's an important witness to the, to, to the maturity of the Philippian believers that even though Paul warned and encouraged them, he didn't, <clears throat> he didn't mention like any theological or moral problems there in the church. The Philippian church had sent a gift with, a, with Epaphrodo, uh, Epaphroditus. He was one of the members to be delivered to, uh, uh, it was to be delivered by one of the members to Paul. That is the, the gift. Paul was in a Roman prison at the time. Paul wrote this letter to thank them for their gift and to encourage them in their faith. In verses 1 and 2, Paul described himself and Timothy as servants of Jesus Christ. The Philippian believers as saints in Jesus Christ and offered his salutation to them in the name of our Lord Jesus. So in verses 1 through 8 that we're going to cover this morning, it writes about, Paul writes about his praise for the saints. Let's begin with verse 1, chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Paul, notice, referred to himself and Timothy as nothing more than bondservants of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't say anything about his authority as an apostle or that he was chosen to record part of God's written word. Paul saw himself and every other believer mostly as a slave of the Lord. Paul's human, uh, Paul's human qualifications were over the top as far as personal qualifications. Paul was the best of the Jews. He was, he was perfect. He was traditional. He was passionate and he was legalistic. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Couldn't get better than that. To his peers, oh, Paul was blameless and he was righteous. But after Paul got saved, he saw that all those things, he saw them for what they really were in God's eyes. Nothing but rubbish. The word rubbish is dung. What Paul thought was important to God, he learned they were really destructive to his life. He earlier, uh, so-called, his earlier so-called righteousness was really unrighteousness, which he gladly gave up to gain true righteousness that comes only, Philippians 3.9 says, through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Timothy shared that same righteousness as a fellow, uh, fellow bondservant of Christ. Timothy was son, Paul's son in the faith, not only a disciple in training, but he was also a dearly loved friend that Paul would pass the baton to uh, of his extraordinary spiritual legacy and ministry. Paul uses the word bondservant 30 times in his letter. A bondservant was the lowest of the low of a servant. A bondservant owned nothing, had no voice. He was at the beck and call of his master. It comes from the word doulos, bondservant. It describes a person uh, owned by somebody else and thus subservient to and dependent upon that person. Paul took the place, the lowest place, the most humble place. Paul was the Lord's property, totally at his disposal. Paul was a man who had mastered his own will. His heart belonged to Christ. His mind beat as one with Christ. He was enslaved to Jesus Christ. Paul called himself a bondservant in his relationship to his apostleship. So when the word is used in the New Testament of a believer's relationship to Jesus Christ, a doulos, it describes willing, determined, committed service. 
A willing, determined, committed service. That makes the difference between a bondservant and a servant. The bondservant doesn't quit when things get tough. They don't develop bad attitudes and, and, and don't want anything to do with, with service because of other things. They're determined, they're willing, they're committed to serving Jesus Christ. It shows the attitude of an Old Testament slave who refused to be free. They're like saying, I don't want to be free from Christ because things get tough. They voluntarily gave themselves to their master for life. In the law of Moses, it says in Exodus 21, 5 and 6, if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him forever. Have we had our ear brought to the doorpost and have it pierced with an awl? Signifying, Lord, I never want to leave your servanthood. I want you to be my master for the rest of my life. I don't want to be free from you. With that mindset, Paul and Timothy thought of being bondservants of Jesus Christ. They didn't think of themselves as bondservants of the church. They weren't bondservants of Rome or any other person or organization. They were bondservants only to Jesus Christ. You see, this is the kind of commitment that's required of every single believer but especially to those called to the ministry. Even if a pastor or teacher's primary commitment is to the church, or I should say, yeah, if a pastor's primary or, or, or um, main commitment to, is to the church, it will surely bring some level of compromise, disappointment, and, and spiritual failure. Because it's not to Christ, it's to the church. But if you're committed to Jesus Christ, it can never be disappointing or in vain. And if his ministry is concerned about other people's standards, which many people are, oh, they're so concerned about what other people think and do. If their ministry is concerned about other people's standards and what they think, a pastor will always stray from the gospel and compromise in some way. Because he's being a people pleaser, not a Christ pleaser. On the other hand, commitment and obedience to the Lord and to his word will always keep him on a godly and faithful path. Paul's prison chains, they weren't the evidence that he was, a, that he was in bondage to Rome. His, his chains proved that he was really a prisoner of the Lord because it was because of Jesus and his commitment to Jesus that he was in prison. He was imprisoned by Rome because of his bondage to Jesus Christ. It was Jesus who would assign Paul all of his duties. It was Jesus who would meet all of his needs. Paul had the same spirit of commitment to Jesus that David's uh, David, uh, servants had to him as king and that Israel had when Joshua took Moses' place. Paul addresses his letter here, notice, to all the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi. The word saints here, it refers to someone who is set apart, specifically believers. Believers who are set apart for God, set apart to God for himself. And the word is often translated holy. Saints are not to be thought of as special Christians. We're just saved. The Bible makes it clear that all who are redeemed, whether Old Testament or New Testament, we are saints set apart to God. All believers are saints. 
not because we're righteous, but because we're in Jesus Christ. And it's his righteousness that has been imparted to us that makes us righteous. Bishops, mentioned here in verse 1, are overseers and deacons are called to lead the church. So bishops and deacons are called to lead the church. The word overseer is another word for elder, the most common New Testament name for the position. And elders are also referred to as pastors or shepherds, pastors, teachers, and bishops. Their qualifications are given in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1. These leaders assist in carrying out the work of Christ, the way of Christ in local churches by preaching, teaching, setting godly examples, and giving Holy Spirit-led discipleship, leadership. Even though their role is mostly one of practical service rather than preaching and teaching, deacons are required to meet the same high moral and spiritual standards as the elders. The difference between the offices is that elders are to be skilled teachers. Now in verse 2, you have Paul's salutation to the church at Philippi. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the salutation. God, uh, grace to you and peace, he said. And you'll find this type of greeting in all of Paul's letters. Grace and peace will always be in that order. Grace and peace were both ordinary words in Paul's day. Now grace, grace was the word of, uh, uh, the word of greeting in the Greek world. In the Greek language, grace comes from the word charis. So if you walked down the street in Paul's day, you would have heard people greeting each other with charis, charis. Matter of fact, this greeting is still used in modern Greece today. Charis means grace. They say, they say it like we say, have a good day. And God is saying to you, when he says, have, have, have grace, he's, like, he's saying to you, have a good eternity. God, through his provision of the cross, has made it possible for you to have a good eternity, and it's by his grace. And then the word peace that follows grace, peace always follows grace it never comes before it there's a peace that comes to the believer through the grace of god because as paul said you are justified by faith we have peace with god through the lord jesus christ anybody can have this peace with a holy god because jesus died for us and he paid our penalty for sin and now god in his grace can save us it's not that we bring god something for our, for our salvation but that he sent someone to us for our salvation. We really don't have anything that we can bring to Jesus. The only thing Jesus wants from you and me is our heart. He wants our heart. It's not that we bring something to him, but he brought something to us. We don't have anything that he needs. I have never brought anything to Jesus except my sin. My sin. Because Jesus paid the penalty for that sin so that a holy God can receive me and he can receive you. In a world of chaos, worry, testing, affliction, disappointment, the list can go on in negatives. It's a world that's filled with things that are wrong today. And in all of that, we can know the peace of God in our hearts even though all of that's going on. That peace that Paul talks about later on in Philippians that passes all understanding. This is the peace of God that he gives to those who trust Jesus as their own personal Savior. 
But we have to know the grace of God before we can experience the peace of God. Truly, we have to know his grace and his mercy and experience the forgiveness of sins before we can experience that peace. In verses 3 through 8, we have the basic elements of joy. Look at verse 3 now, where we have, again, the basic elements of joy. Paul said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests uh, for you with joy. So let's go back and just stop at verse 3. He says, I, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. The joy of remembrance in verse 3. The joy of remembrance. Paul tells about the pleasant relationship that he had with the Philippian believers. And that's the way it should be today among believers, especially between pastor and congregation. The literal translation of verse 3 would be this. All my remembrance of you causes me to thank God. All my remembrance of you causes me to thank God. Every time anybody would mention Philippi, man, Paul would just thank God for the believers there. How wonderful that would be. You know, if all churches were like the Philippian church. To be the kind of person about which it can be said, all my remembrance of you causes me to thank God. If this is all that Paul had to say about his relationship with his church, it would have been enough to show how special it was to him. And when you read the other letters, you see that he didn't say this to any of the other churches. Verse 4, again, like I said, verses 3 through 8 gives us the, ele- the basic elements of joy. So verse 3 was the joy of remembrance. Here in verse 4 now we have the joy of prayer. Look at verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all. So again, the joy of prayer. Always, he says always, not just sometimes. He says always in every prayer. Paul remembered the Philippian believers. He says, for you all, the words for you all, makes it very clear that Paul was speaking to all the saints that were in that local church. And he said, making requests for you all with joy. Think about that. This was an important thing Paul did. It's an important thing that Paul was saying here, knowing that he was in jail in Rome when he wrote it. And even though the word joy here is found several times in this letter, we tend to call it a letter of joy. And it is. But if we're going to pick out the word that comes up more than any other word, it's the name Jesus. Jesus Christ. So it's really a letter about Jesus because he's the source of that joy. His name appears over 40 times in this letter because he's the center of the letter. He's the one who is the very source of that joy. So the emphasis should be on Jesus Christ rather than the joy. And we are going to see that the attitude uh, of Christian living has to do with Jesus. The pattern has to do with Jesus. The price of Christian living has to do with Jesus, and the power has to do with Jesus. So in reality, it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that brings real joy to a believer's life. We try so hard in the church to make people happy by outward means. We have programs. We have activities. Now we have bands. And then we tell people, oh, come to church. You'll really like it. But honestly, joy doesn't depend on outward circumstances, not even in the world. 
You know, a lot of times, you know, over the years, you know, we've gotten calls, and I've gotten calls about, you know, what do we have, what programs do we have at the church? Do you guys have a marriage ministry? Do you have a a youth ministry? Do you have a singles ministry? Uh, You know, all all these uh, sports ministry, uh, and all these ministries, and it's like they want to join a social club or something. Never, rarely have I ever heard anybody say, hey, how do you guys teach the Word of God? How do you teach the Word of God? Which is the most important thing in a church. Because if you're coming for the singles club or the youth club, I mean, they're important. But our first desire should be, hey, I need to know how the Word of God is taught there. Topical characters from certain, certain books, you know. Paul said it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. That's why he said, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't shun to give you the Word of God. It's important that we understand that. Joy does not depend on outward circumstances. Not even in the world. Remember the days before you were a Christian? I remember you might have gone to a, a really good party and had a lot of fun. That was a really good band, and it was just a lot of fun, and you didn't want it to end. And when it was over, you were you were still, you know, you were still left, you were left still wanting. Real joy depends upon the inward condition of the person, of their heart. It depends on the proper attitude toward life. If you're complaining and unhappy about your life, then for sure you won't be experiencing joy. You, may able to, you might be able to go to church, a church activity. You might be able to have a little fun. But that won't be joy. When you get to the place where you find yourself in the center of the will of God and you know you're in His will, hey, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. Then you are going to find joy and have joy in your life. Paul said, Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. Paul's prayer... Paul's prayer time wasn't a drag. Listen to what he said again. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you. No, it's all with joy. He, enjoy, he got joy out of praying for those. around. He, he didn't say, oh man, now I, I guess I better go pray for those people. Sometimes when it comes to prayer, you go, oh man, you know, I, I haven't prayed. I, I got to go pray now and it's, it's, rather than it be a joy. Even in jail, Paul said, hey, it is a real joy to pray for you Philippians. Why? Because it brings me such great joy. And then after telling them that it brought great joy to him, he tells them why. He thanked God for them, and then he tells them why. Notice verse 5 now. Here's the joy of participation, another element that that will increase your joy. Verse 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. This brought joy to him. This word fellowship, though, it's used a lot in and out of church. But a lot of people really don't know what the word means. And so it's not used in the right way. The word fellowship seems to mean to many people many different things. It's lost a lot of its true meaning or, and is losing a lot of its true meaning. This is why we need to know what it really means. And if so, we need to do something about making it, you know, what it really means. The word fellowship comes from the word koinonia. It simply means to have in communion. 
to have in communion. But true Christian fellowship is really deeper than having dinner together or playing a game together or, or, or having a good time together. Fellowship is often thought of as only having company or friendship. You can't have fellowship with someone unless you have something in common. And for Christian fellowship, this means possession, a possession of eternal life within the heart. Unless a person has trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, they really don't know anything about the fellowship of the gospel that Paul's talking about. So true fellowship is way more than being a member of a church. You can be close to people physically, sit right next to them, and yet you can be far away, miles away to the, uh, from them, spiritually speaking. One of the sources of Christian joy is this fellowship that believers have in Jesus Christ. Paul was in Rome. His friends were miles away in Philippi. But their spiritual fellowship was real and it was satisfying. When you have the single mind, you know, one eye on the Lord, single-mindedness in the Lord, you won't complain about circumstances. Because you know that difficult circumstances will result in strengthening the fellowship of the gospel. The Philippians' fellowship in the gospel had been an important part of spreading God's word. And they helped Paul in spreading God's word. You know, it, he was, they were helpful to him while Paul was in prison. When we help our ministers or missionaries or evangelists through prayer and hospitality and financial support... Then we become partners with them. We become part of the fellowship, part of the fellowship in the gospel. That makes us partners with Jesus Christ. This is true koinonia. And Paul wrote that this church was having fellowship with him, that the Philippian church was having fellowship with him. He had given them the gospel, and they had shared with Paul in giving the gospel in, that, in, in a loving teamwork. A loving teamwork. No standouts, no Lone Rangers. Together, a loving teamwork. They had sent a gift to Paul. They had ministered to Paul's physical needs again and again. And then when they were together, they had this sweet communion together in Jesus. He said, from the first day until now, Paul had enjoyed wonderful fellowship with them from the very first day. Now look at verse 6. We see here the joy now of anticipation. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God who started a good work in us continues it all through our lifetime and will finish it when we meet him face to face. It is an ongoing thing until we meet him face to face. God's work for us started when Jesus died on the cross in our place. His work in us started when we first believed. And now the Holy Spirit lives in us, helping us to be more like Jesus every day. Paul here is describing the process of Christian growth and maturity that started when he accepted Jesus and continues until he returns. 
Do you sometimes feel like you're not making progress in your spiritual life? In your walk with Jesus? Just remember that God doesn't quit. When God starts something, he finishes it. Just like with the Philippians, God will help you to grow in his grace until he has finished his work in your life. When you get discouraged, remember, God won't give up on you. God promises to finish the work that he started. When you feel unacceptable, defective, or just bummed out because of your shortcomings, remember God's promise and his provision. Don't let whatever you're going through rob you of the joy of knowing Jesus Christ or to keep you from going closer to him. Let's close now with verses 7 through 8. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart and as much as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Here's another element of how to increase your joy, and it is the joy of affection. When Paul said, in my chains, he was probably talking about his imprisonment in Philippi. In in, in verses 13 and 14 here uh, of Philippians, he talks about his imprisonment in Rome. Whenever Paul was in, uh, whenever, wherever Paul was in prison, you know, no matter where it was, even in prison, Paul faithfully preached the good news. So may Paul's example of being in prison be be our inspiration for the hindrances that we experience in life. Whether our hindrances, our circumstances are big or slow, big or small, Don't let them slow down your work for Jesus. Have you ever wanted to to see a friend that you've shared fond memories with? Paul wanted to see the Christians at Philippi. He wanted to see them so badly. His 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 love and affection for them wasn't based on just past experiences. It was also based on the unity they had and shared together in Christ's love. Paul here, when he talks about, oh, how much he missed them and how much he loved them and he wants to see them again and all of these things are going on, he wasn't being emotional. Paul wasn't wallowing in self-pity. His desire was a lot deeper than that. It went a lot deeper. The source of Paul's emotions were in Jesus. Paul's heart beat as one with Christ's heart. And he said, hey, God is my witness. All Christians are part of God's family and they equally share in the transforming power of his love. Do you feel a deep love for your fellow Christians? For your friends, strangers alike? He said, said, I have you in my heart. That's amazing. I have you in my heart. Do you have your brothers and sisters in Christ in your heart? Those that you love, do you have them in your heart? Your friends? Do you have them in your heart like Paul spoke of here? 
We need to let Christ's love encourage us to love other Christians and to show that love in your behavior toward them. Do you want to increase your joy? Then remember the basic elements of joy that Paul talked about here in chapter 1 of these first eight verses. Remember the basic elements of joy. The joy of remembrance. Remembering those that brought you so much joy. The joy of prayer. Praying for those that need prayer. Praying for those that you love. The joy of participation. That is the fellowship of one another. The joy of anticipation knowing that one day we're going to be with Christ. The joy of affection. The the affection that Paul had, the joy that he had and the affection that he had for uh, the Philippian brothers and sisters. And then he said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Here's the key to this joy. He was talking to believers talking to Christians he said grace and peace grace and peace and you'll never experience the joy until you experience the grace of God as well as the peace of God so if you're on a search this morning and you're trying to find that joy it's found in Christ you're not going to find it in anything else It might be a temporary joy, but it won't be a lasting joy. It might be a joy that can be taken from you if the things that you treasure are taken from you or they're destroyed or they're lost. But if you store up your treasures where your joy is in heaven, hey, nobody can touch it. But it comes from being in Christ, born again. And we pray that if you're searching from that joy that the Holy Spirit has revealed to you where that true joy comes from. It can't be taken from you. And we pray this morning that you'll take that opportunity to receive God's love and His grace that you might experience His peace and His joy. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this beautiful book and this passage from Paul, Lord. And again, this joy is available to every living soul if it is conditional. The joy that Paul is talking about cannot be found apart from Christ. It can't be found in the things of the world. Like Isaiah said, why do you spend money for things that don't fill you, that don't bring you joy. Don't waste your time on those things that are temporary. Jesus Christ is eternal. He's everlasting. If you're here this morning and you're searching for that joy, you want that joy that Paul talked about, that joy that can't be taken from you, that can only be had in Christ Jesus as one of his children. If you recognize your need and you, and you want Christ, you want Christ that can give you that everlasting joy. As we're praying, 
Raise up your hand real quick if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Awesome. Anybody else? Awesome. That's great. Something, again, that Jesus Christ can only give you in a relationship with him. For those who raise their hand, I'm going to say this prayer out loud. You repeat it to the Lord with all of your heart. Dear Jesus, please forgive me, Lord, for all of my sins. I confess to you, I am a sinner. Please cleanse me and wash me of all of my sins. I want to receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me now to walk with you, to follow you, to make you my master all the days of my life. And thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Awesome, you guys. Mike in the back. Amen.